Well, if you came to praise the Lord this morning, why don't you clap your hands and give God praise all over this place. And while you're clapping, why don't you say something else to our great God for all of the great things he has done. So why don't you clap and give God praise with your voice. For the word of the Lord says, clap your hands, all of you people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Can you elevate your voice one more time and give our great God great praise all over this place? Dear Lord, today we don't stand asking for the riches of this land. Neither is my prayer today, Lord, that high men may know my name. But simply, Lord, give me a clean heart that I might serve thee. I pray that you would fix my heart that I might be pleasing unto thee. I recognize that I'm not worthy of all of these blessings. But just give me a clean heart. And I vow for the rest of my life I will follow thee. Please, Jesus, anoint these lips of clay as we speak as a glorical of Christ and none of ourselves, but hide us behind the glorious cross. Don't allow the people to see me, but only thee. Drop a Holy Ghost bomb in the midst of your saints today. Let your glory be revealed. We thank you right now for what you've already done. We thank you for what you're doing, and by faith we clap our hands for what you're about to do in this place. We thank you that we won't leave here like we came in the name of Jesus. The sick will leave healed. The poor will leave rich. We give you glory right now for it in advance. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are my strength. And I'm also very thankful you're my redeemer in Jesus' name. Amen. When you grab the hand of the person that's standing next to you, as a matter of fact, you may have to wake somebody up and shake it like you're about to shake the arm off their body and say, neighbor, tell them God is up to something and you're right in the middle of it. Now tell them something good is getting ready to happen to you right now. If you believe, you ought to clap your hands and give God praise in this place. Now, just in case you may not be sitting next to someone that doesn't have expectation, find one other person and make sure you're in the right section today and say, neighbor, tell them God is up to something and you're right in the middle of it. Now tell him something good is getting ready to happen to you right now. Now I need somebody to open up your mouth and set up a shout in this place. Hallelujah. Glory to God. As you remain standing, I ask that you would grab your Bibles or your tablets or your phones, wherever your Bibles are. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. But before we move forward, I want to express my appreciation for this man of God, a trailblazer, a visionary, a leader, a bishop, a pastor, a spiritual father, a mentor, a builder, a lover of God, a lover of people. I speak of none other than our pastor and presiding bishop that God has used for 51 years to lead this congregation, even to the extent of $65 million of debt wiped out and cleared. What an awesome man of God, humanitarian. West A, let's raise the roof and celebrate our bishop, Bishop Charles Edward Blake. Bless you, sir. We love you. We thank God for our presiding bishop. I'm often reminded of his testimony when he went to a leadership or church growth conference, I believe, with Robert Schuler, And he said he prayed in that setting. Lord, if you could do this for him, can you do something for me? 
And he prayed that prayer uh, decades ago. But every time I come to West Angeles, Bishop, I pray that same prayer. And it's all right with me if the Lord just released here a little and there a little. But that speaks of the kind of man that he is, a great humanitarian, and he's a generous, humble man of God. And one of the greatest testaments that we can speak of is his meekness. I've seen him endure pressure and challenges, but yet he's still smooth, he's still anointed, he's still powerful, he's still didactic. And I think we ought to praise God one more time for our leader, Bishop Blake, we love you, sir. Thank you for your leadership, for this opportunity. And in her absence, let's praise God for our first lady today, Lady Mae Blake. We honor her and salute her and to all of the ministerial staff, assistant pastor uh, Blake and uh, Brother Lawrence and Dr. McAllister, who we have the honor of working with in our international church. God bless her and the music ministry on today. And last but not least, Jesus Christ. Can we celebrate our Lord and Savior? It's all because of him that we are here. Anybody need a word from the Lord on today? If you go with me just for a few moments to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, and I want to begin by looking at verse 3. And if you allow me also, I want to honor my wife in her absence, Lady Stephanie Dillard, for giving us this opportunity to share. She sends her love and her prayers. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, and as he, speaking of Saul, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told to thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, everybody say, when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard a whole lot about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And now he has authority from chief priests to bind all of that call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him. Now notice it says Saul first. But after this, when Ananias walks in the room, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest, have sent me that you might receive your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. God bless the hearers, readers, and doers of his most holy word. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to talk to you for a few moments about a transforming vision. Can everybody say that? A transforming vision. Of course, as we have entered into this brand new year of 2020, I believe that immediately our minds began to think about vision. Obviously, when you say 2020 vision, it actually refers to normal visual acuity which means that a measured distance of 20 feet an individual is able to see or read clearly. That means if you have 20-20 vision that uh, you, you, you can see clearly again at 20 feet. But if you have 20-100 vision, it means that you must be as close as 20 feet to see what a person with normal vision can see at 100 feet. So having 20-20 vision does not necessarily mean that you have perfect vision. But 20-20 vision only indicates the sharpness or clarity of vision at a distance. When you think about it from a natural perspective of vision. But I would like to submit to you today as we understand vision in a spiritual context that vision in a spiritual context really does not have anything to do with a natural ability to see. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So I submit to you today that faith is actually spiritual sight. Can I get a witness here? And I've discovered that even as we are on this journey to perfected faith or perfected vision, that many times the enemy consistently attempts to pull us back into the concerns and diversions and pitfalls and self-preoccupation of the carnal mind and of the carnal man. In other words, there are three dimensions to our reality. We are body, soul, and spirit. And what we must realize is just as much as we have physical senses, abilities to see and hear and to feel and touch, there are also spiritual senses. Somebody say amen in this house. I was reading a book by Miles Monroe, and he talked about a story of a little girl who was on a cruise ship. And she and her father were standing on the deck, and the little girl was tiptoeing, and she said to her daddy, I can't see anything. And then the father picked the little girl up and put her on his shoulders. And at that point, she was elevated so high that she was higher than everyone else that was on the deck. And she was able to see everything around her. And then she said to her, Daddy, I can see farther than my eyes can see. When you think about that story, that little girl's statement, I believe, really embodies the essence of true vision. It is the ability to see farther than your physical eyes can see. In other words, you have to be able to not just see what is, but see what can be and to make it a reality. Notice that this young girl was elevated. She was in a higher position. And may I say to you this morning that how high you go determines how much you will see. 
The reason why some people are not able to see more because they are too low in their position and in their posture. But there is a need to elevate and expand our thinking, our perspective, even our angle and our lens. It's not always that the lady across the street, her dress is dirty. It may be that your windows that you're looking through is dirty. In other words, it has to do with your lens. I, I, I said the other day that some people, yes, suffer with natural cataracts, but there are some people that have spiritual cataracts. And cataracts cause your uh, vision to become cloudy and distorted and diminished. And so that little girl, as she was elevated, she was able to see more because she was in a high place. Can I say to somebody this year in 2020, if you want to see more and have more and experience more, you've got to get up a little bit higher. The challenge that many people have, they have a low mindset, a low mentality, a low expectation. But look at somebody say, get up a little higher, get up a little higher. The greatest gift I believe that God has ever given to humanity is not sight, but rather vision. I like to say it like this, that sight is the function of the natural eye, but vision is a function of the heart. Did y'all hear what I just said? Sight is a function of the natural eye, but vision is a function of the heart. That's why the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. You can use faith and vision interchangeably, so that means we walk by vision and not by sight. Can you say amen in this house? It reminds me of Helen Keller, who was the author of 12 books. She was a political activist and a lecturer. But what was interesting about Helen Keller is that she was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. And someone asked her what she thought could be worse than being blind. And her response was, having sight but no vision. Do you not know there are persons that can see with their natural eye but cannot see with their heart? Because the reality is when you talk about vision, vision is spiritually discerned. Another thing about vision that you have to understand is that vision is the link between the present and the future. It is also a clear portrayal and definition of your future. In other words, your vision, your outlook determines what your, your future will and could be. Vision is God's idea for your life. I like that definition. Why don't you lay hands on somebody next to you and say, neighbor, vision is God's idea for your life. In other words, that, 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 that vision that we uh, obtain must come from God. And the reality is if the vision is God's idea for our lives, then it is God's responsibility with our cooperation to bring whatever vision that God gives to us to pass. Can you say amen in this place? Another thing about vision uh, is that vision allows you to see the possibilities of the future. Vision is foresight and foresight reveals what is ahead as it connects you to the future. Not only are those things important about vision that I submit to you today, but vision is also provocative. Vision provokes three things. It, it provokes acceleration, it provokes motivation, and transformation. Everybody say acceleration motivation and transformation 
when you talk about acceleration, it, it speaks of a feeling of excitement or happiness or elation. And the reason why that a God-given vision is exhilarating is because of its source and its content. First of all, God is the author and source of your vision. Let me say it one more time. God is the author and the source of your vision. And that vision that God will give you comes from his heart. And, and what I love about God, that when he gives us a vision, it is not so broad that there is no specificity connected to what God is showing us. God is specific about your life. Before the foundation of the world were framed, God said, I had already predetermined who and what you will be. In other words, your your vision does not come from a consensus of a committee. It doesn't come from a group. It does not come from a board. It doesn't come from a retreat. It does not come from a mentor. It does not come from a friend. Your vision comes from God. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, neighbor, your vision comes from God. Vision is not a good opinion, it's not a grand idea, it's not a concept, it's not a plan, goal, or strategy, but vision comes from God. It is ascribed to God, and it is God's perspective. Man does not create vision. I wish I had a witness in here. And so since God is the source of vision of our vision, many of what we call the classic spiritual disciplines such as prayer and Bible study and solitude, fasting, and reflection can bring you to the right place to begin hearing what God's desire is for your life. Can I say to somebody today, you're looking here and there for somebody to define who you are, but God told me to tell somebody this morning that you are who he says that you are and so it is important that you hear from him directly and do you not know if you don't take on the God-given vision people will give you a vision I tell people all the time you have to be careful taking advice from everybody sometimes people will tell you it looks like you ought to be married but let me tell you something you're gonna need more than looking like to be able to have a successful marriage. People will tell you, look like you ought to be a preacher, look like you ought to be doing this, but when you know who you are and whose you are and what God has shown you, it brings you to a place of excitement that what I have in my view came from God. I dare to slap somebody high five and say, this came from God, this came from God. This didn't come from a bad dream. This didn't come from me eating the wrong thing the night before. God clearly showed me what his desire and plan is for my life and what I love about a God-given vision is is that it produce, produces kingdom results. It makes major impact and it brings back provision. You ought to get excited about your vision because of the source of the vision but also the content of your vision. For the Bible says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you that are good and not evil, but to give you an expected end. Let me tell you something. I don't see my death. I don't see my defeat. I don't see my hurt. I don't see pain. I see myself better. I see myself stronger. I see myself wiser. Thank you, Bishop Blake. I see you in the future. And you look much better than you look right now. Ask somebody next to you, can you see it? Can you see it? Can you, you, you got to see it. And, and once you understand that the plans that God has for you is much better than what you are experiencing and what you have experiencing, you won't wait until the vision come to pass, but you'll praise him right now. 
Vision provokes acceleration. It provokes motivation. Everybody say motivation. Where there is no vision, the Bible says the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We often quote this scripture, but when you read that word, that, that particular passage of scripture, it's not the basis for or referring to vision statements and objectives, but this verse reveals that when people live without the vision of God, they begin to live outside of God's ordained boundaries. And instead of living within the limits of God's perspective, visionless people perish. In other words, they pursue their own words. They, they make up their own rules. They, they have their own laws and regulation. But vision defines boundaries and clarifies direction and produces light. You just don't shoot in the dark. And, and sometimes people will tell you that you're arrogant and stuck up. But the reality is you just know what you don't have time for. You understand what your vision and your purpose is. I wish I had a witness in here. Because your potential is on the line as it relates to your vision because your vision determines your, your, your potential and if it is a God-given vision, it is guaranteed. I need you to shake somebody's hand like you're about to shake it off and say, neighbor, whatever God showed you, it shall come to pass. Uh, I wish I had a witness in here and that's what I love about vision. Vision produces hope for better in the most difficult and hardship times. There have been moments in my life where I have the great vision that God has given me but when I start following that vision, I had challenges, I had opposition, I had hurt, I had pain but one thing that kept me motivated is what he showed me. It doesn't matter what I see around me, but it's about what God has shown me. Is there anybody in this place today that can let the devil know I'm motivated by my vision and not necessarily by what I have in terms of provision? I'm motivated by what God showed me more than I am by support from other people. I'm motivated by my vision. I am driven by what God has said and shown me more than how I feel. In other words, you've got to be motivated by what God showed you. Your vision causes you to reach for a possibility far greater than yourself. If your vision has you comfortable and doing what you've been doing, then it's not a vision from God. God sometimes will challenge you and show you things that seem like it's unattainable. It seems like it cannot come to pass. But the devil is a liar. I found out that's how God works because he places you in a position where you have to depend on him. Can you look at somebody and say, you better depend on God. You better depend on God. Yeah, yeah, vision, it provokes acceleration. It provokes motivation. But then vision also provokes transformation. I appreciate you celebrating and many of us came into 2020 celebrating but the reality is that many times people can have a vision but those visions never come to pass because they're so focused on seeing those things happen that they don't prepare themselves for what they saw which had a witness in here see God does not show us something just to excite us but he shows us something to put us in a place of preparation. 
Thank you, choir. I heard you a few moments ago. They said, I'm all in. See, but the reality is when God gives you a vision, you don't wait till it comes to pass to start acting like and moving like what you see in your future. If God has shown you something, that means it needs to become a part of who you are until you make a commitment to say, I'm all in this vision. As a matter of fact, I may not have it yet, but I'm going to dress like I got it. I'm, I'm going to talk like I got it. I'm going to walk like I got it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to shout, dance, and praise God like I already got it. Why? Because the reality is that vision, it becomes a part of who you are and should transform you. Your vision should change you. It should change your perspective. It should change your attitude. I know some people got a bad attitude because they don't have the right kind of vision. It should change how you view your life. Your transformation, again, is actually preparation for what lies ahead. Can I ask you a question in this place? Is there anybody in this room believe that God has better in your future? You believe that's greater for you. You believe that everything that God has shown you shall come to pass. Well, look at somebody and say, get ready for it, get ready for it, get ready. Yeah, yeah, I, I can come in and prophesy and tell you in three days God is going to give you a new car, but that ought to say to you, make sure you have driver's license. Make sure you have some insurance. I wish I had a witness in here. In other words, there must be some steps toward preparation. When we look here in this text today, we see a man by the name of Apostle Paul. But when we're introduced to Apostle Paul in Scripture, he is not introduced as an apostle. The reality is you have to go back to Acts chapter 7. When the church had began to experience persecution, the Bible said that there was a deacon by the name of Stephen who was being persecuted because of his stance and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they got so upset with his ministry. The Bible says that when they begin to stone Stephen, watch this, here's a vision right here in Acts chapter 7. The Bible said while they were thinking of stoning him and attacking him, Stephen looked steadfastly up into the heavens until God showed him a vision in the face of persecution. What did, what did Stephen see? He saw the heavens open up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The reason why some of you need to get excited there is because the last time I checked Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the father but when Stephen was going through persecution Jesus stood up for him can I tell somebody today that God is about to stand up for you I dare you to shake somebody's hand and say neighbor God is about to stand up for you but in Acts chapter 7 while Stephen is meeting on with his death, standing at the foot of all that was happening was a young man by the name of Saul. And while he's standing there, the Bible said they laid their clothes before him. And then when you get to Acts chapter 8, the Bible said that Saul continued in his enragement to attack the, the church that God had established through Jesus Christ, that persecution broke out. And when you understand who Paul was, he was not just some Johnny come lately, but as a matter of fact, he gives us his resume in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says that 
Paul or Saul of Tarsus, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I am a Pharisee. So notice here what he says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. See, to be circumcised on the eighth day tied him directly to Father Abraham. See, understand that the male descendants of Ishmael were circumcised in their 13th year and converts to Judaism would be circumcised in adulthood. But Paul uh, submits to us that he was a full-blooded Jew because he was circumcised on the eighth day of his birth. And then he says, I want to identify the fact that I am an Israelite. See, the Ishmaelites could trace their blood blind back to Abraham and the Edomites could trace themselves back to Isaac, but an Israelite alone could trace his bloodline back to Jacob. And then not only that, but Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, and the only son to be born in the promised land. And so he says, I'm born in a small but yet the tribe of people. And then he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's saying that he was among the Jews who retained the Hebrew tongue. And not only that, but then he says, I have blue ribbon pedigree because I am a Pharisee concerning the law. I have studied, I have sat at the seat or the feet of a, a, an incredible in, uh, instructor or tutor by the name of Gamaliel. In other words, Paul was a smart, intelligent, strong-willed man, but he had it all wrong. Do you not know you can be sincerely wrong? Paul was sincerely wrong because he thought to himself that I'm going to do the will of God by persecuting the church. So he would go into churches and drag people out and cause some of them to be put to death. As a matter of fact, when you get to Acts chapter 9, the Bible said that Saul breathed threatenings against the church and the church was fearful. Look at this man, Saul. Some theologians say that he was short and bald-headed. I'm not sure what he was. Somebody said that he had a small man uh, uh, mentality or complex. Here he is. Uh, he's robust in his mind and in his spirit. He's arrogant. He's pompous. He's pious. He's attacking the church and the fact that the Bible said that he breathed threatenings against the church. It almost reminds me of a dragon breathing fire. Can you see how dangerous this man was? Can you see how dreadful this man was? But out of all the people in the world that God will use to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't come to the temple. He didn't come to somebody that was on the mourner's bench, but he found a man that was messed up on the road to Damascus. I want you to know today, I don't care what you have done, what you've gone through, you are not too far away that God cannot use you. I know some of you want to say that some people ought to be ashamed of themselves, but is there anybody can be honest in here that the Lord saved you from something? He found you on that Damascus road as Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. Some even suggested that he was riding a beast. The Bible does not say that. But whether he was walking or riding, I could see Saul with his chest stuck out, with his head big in the air because of all of his accomplishments. But God out of nowhere calls a lightning to flash. And the Bible said that Paul fell on his face. Let me tell you something. God knows how to humble you. I said God knows how to humble you. The Bible said while he's there, God shows him a vision. 
of the Lord Jesus himself and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Notice what he says, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm the one that you persecuted. Do you not know that it's hard to kick against the prick? Here it is, Paul has a vision that literally transforms his entire life. He's on his way to persecute the church to cause more saints to be put to death. But on the Damascus road, he is made to fall on his face and God begins to transform him to the extent that God says, listen, Saul, I want to use you, but I'm gonna have to let you go through a metamorphosis. See, understand this, that God wants to use some of us. He, he wants to take us to places that we've never been before to do great things, but God said, before I release you, I've got to transform you. And so God then blinds him to the extent here this man is who's used to being large and in charge. Now he has to be led to a house. Now notice what the Bible said. He is taken to a house on Straight Street. Now, I know some of you say that that's nothing to that straight street, but can I metaphorically and use my spiritual imagination to look at the road he was on, the Damascus Road, which he was going to do some crooked stuff. He was on his way to do some things that were jammed and jumbled up and discombobulated. It was a crooked road that he was leading, but notice what God does. After he transforms him, he takes him off the crooked road and put him on straight street. I know you want everybody to believe you always been straight, but is there anybody here remember when you were on that crooked road? You didn't always come to church on Sunday. You didn't always live righteously and holy, but one day God found you on that crooked road and put you on straight street. I dare you to tell two or three people, I'm straight now, I'm straight now, I'm straight. At one time I wasn't straight. I did everything I was big and bad enough to do. I drank what I wanted to do, slept who I wanted to sleep with, talked like I wanted to talk, but but oh, what a change in my life has been wrought. He took me off of that Damascus road, put me on straight street. Here he is so, uh, so moved by his experience on Damascus road that he doesn't eat for three days and three nights. He's sitting there now praying. He's been transformed. While he's praying, this is what I love about God, the Bible said that he began to speak to another man who was in the church by the name of Ananias. While Ananias was praying, God was talking to him. And while he was talking to Ananias, he was also talking to Saul. That's what I love about God. We don't have to clamor for God's attention. All of us in this place today, we can lift our hands and tell God, thank you. We can call out to him in prayer and God will hear us individually. In other words, you don't have to beat and compete with somebody in prayer. Thank God, God can hear all of us at the same time. And he can talk to all of us at the same time. Here Paul is on straight street, but Ananias is in the other part of the city. He's praying to God, but then he has a vision. And the Lord speaks to Ananias and say, listen, I want you to go down on Straight Street and inquire of a man by the name of Judas in his house. There's a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He's sitting there praying that he might receive his sight. But notice what Ananias says. He starts talking like some church folk will today. 
when God changes somebody's life, he says, wait a minute, Jesus, I know you're not talking about the one that's been persecuting your saints. I know you're not talking about the one that has been causing the saints to be stoned to death. But I can imagine if, if you allow me to, what Jesus spoke back to Ananias and said, listen, Ananias, you knew the old Saul, but he's been transformed. He's been changed. The things he used to do, he doesn't do anymore. The places he used to go, he doesn't go anymore. In other words, I have chosen him. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, I'm so glad that God chose me in spite of me. I'm so glad that God looked beyond my faults and he saw my needs. He said, Ananias, I want you to go down on Straight Street. And when you get in the house, I want you to lay your hands on him that he might receive his sight. And the Bible said that when Ananias walked in the house, his soul is blind. His soul is, he's in a transformation of position. And the man of God walks over to him and he lays his hands on him until the Bible said it looked like the scale fell off of his eyes and I come to tell somebody that as you move forward in 2020 God's getting ready to take the scales from your eyes the devil's been showing you your defeat he's been showing you your past he's been showing you how all the things can't work together for you but the devil is a liar God's getting ready to move the scales from his eyes and the Bible said that so all was filled with the Holy Ghost. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, when the scales come off your eyes, you can experience the power of the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody here that ever had God to open up your eyes? Is there anybody here that ever had God to remove the scales? The devil showed you your defeat. He showed you your pain. He even showed you your death. But God said, if you open up the eyes of your heart, I'll show you that I'm more than the world against you. If you open up your eyes, I'll show you that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Look at somebody and say, I see something. I see that no weapon that's formed against me shall be able to prosper. Somebody shout, I see something that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Somebody shout, I see something. For we know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord. Somebody shout, I see something. He was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him and I see something by his stripes. I am healed. Tell somebody else I see something. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. I see something. I see myself going higher. I see myself walking in deliverance. I see myself walking in the power of God. And if you're going to see better, if you're going to be changed by what you see, you got to be like Apostle Paul. I'm forgetting the 
those things which are behind me and I'm reaching for those things which are before me. I press toward the mark, toward the prize of a high calling in Christ Jesus. Look at somebody say, neighbor, you can stay here, down here, if you want to, but tell them I'm getting ready to go higher. Somebody wave your hand and say higher. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God gave me a vision. And by vision, it changed me. It transformed me. Many people look at you now and they try to figure out how did you make it? How did you get to where you are? But the reality is you were able to get to where you are now. It's because you saw it before you saw it. And I come to tell somebody, if you can't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. Look at somebody say, neighbor, if you don't see it before you see it, tell them you'll never see it. What are you saying, brother preacher? If you don't have the vision from God, it will never manifest. But I got good news for you. If you hang in there just a little while longer, God told me to tell somebody that you will see, you will get what you see. Shake somebody's hand one last time and say, neighbor, you will get what you see. In other words, this is the year of manifestation. Manifestation is the embodiment of what God showed you. So that means God's getting ready to give your vision a body. People will see it. People will enjoy it. People will be changed by it. Is there anybody here? You believe your vision is coming to pass. Don't wait. Ah, don't wait till the battle is over. But shout right now. Praise God for your vision right now. I'm excited by what I see. I'm motivated by what he showed me. And I'm transformed by what he showed me. Give the Lord praise. Woo! Hey! Lean on somebody one last time and say, neighbor. Tell them I don't know about you, but I'm glad. I got a vision from God and tell him that vision that God gave to me. Tell him it's getting ready. It's getting ready to happen. You believe you ought to praise him for it. Come open up your mouth and praise him. Praise God for your vision. Praise God for your future. Praise God for his promise. Vision brings acceleration. People will say, my brother, my sister, you don't have the resources, you don't have the support. I'm, I'm excited about my vision because of its source and its content. I'm motivated. I shall not be moved. I'm like a tree planted by the rivers of water because of what I see. 
and then I'm transformed. Paul's vision changed him. Your vision has to be more than sitting in a summer house laid back. And that will probably be a result of you working out of vision. But I mean, no vision requires work, commitment, being all in. I come to tell somebody today, I do not care what your past have been. If you can see that God has something better for you, that your past does not X out what God can do in your life. As a matter of fact, it would just become a part of your testimony. God is trying to give somebody a vision for a better life. I'm closing. My wife taught school for a few years, high school, and one of her students came to her one day and said, Mrs. Dillard, I'm, I'm going out of town this week. Now, you have to understand Memphis has some suburbs and neighborhoods connected to it. There's an area called Cordova, which is just another zip code. It's, it's right down the way. But the young lady said, I'm going out of town. My wife said, okay, where, where are you going? She said, I'm going to Cordova. She had never been outside of her zip code. She had never been outside of what she was raised in. And so she didn't know that there was a whole nother world out there. I can remember my grandfather, when we would go over to his house, he would take us driving and take us to neighborhoods where there were nice houses and people were living in a nice posture, in a nice way, and we'd be riding the car and say, that's my house, that's my house, that's my house. And do you know today I stay in one of those houses because my grandfather showed it to me before I could even afford it. Somebody need to see that God has something better for you. I need to move, but I need every person in this room that needs a transformation, that wants God to do a new thing in your life. You may be like Paul. You may be sincerely wrong, but God sincerely loves you in spite of you being sincerely wrong. He brought you here today so that you can experience the worship, the presence of God, and the word of God to let you know your life can change. If we're saved at all, the Lord had to pick all of us up from a low place and elevate us. I want to invite somebody today that wants to be transformed, somebody that's ready for a life change, somebody the enemy even lied to you and told you your life could never be better. The devil is a liar. You can see that vision today that God has a better life for you. If you in this room, you want to be saved, you want to give your life to Jesus, you're ready for God to show you that vision that more is before you step out of your seat and come right now. Come on, come on, come on. Step from wherever you are. Don't be afraid to step out today. If you are afraid to walk by yourself, ask somebody to walk with you. Come on, come on. Step from where you are. I'm ready to be changed. I'm ready to be transformed. I'm ready, God, for my life to go into another place, another dimension in you. Come on, step out from where you are. Saints, keep celebrating. Keep praising God. Keep giving God glory. You don't have to wait on someone else to come. You can come for yourself. God bless you, my brother. Step right out. Come on, come on, come on. Even if you're up in the balcony area, 
Make your way down to this altar. The Lord is standing here right now. He can take you off Damascus Road and place you on Straight Street. This is your day. This is your hour to be transformed. This is your day. This is your hour to be changed. Come on, come on. Some of you in this room, hallelujah, the enemy has tried to cloud your vision. But you can step out today. The Lord wants to open your eyes. Hallelujah. Come on, let the Lord open your eyes. God bless you, my brother. There's somebody else. There's somebody else. Come on, come on, come on. God bless you. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. The Lord is waiting for you. The Lord is waiting for you. Hallelujah. God is about to perform eye surgery. He's about to show you your life. That's it. God bless you, young man. Come on. There's some others. There are at least seven other people standing at your seat. This is your day. You didn't come all the way here today to go back like you came. You want the Lord to change your life. God bless you, my sister. Hallelujah. God bless you, my sister. Come on. There are four more people. God bless you. There are three more. Come on. Hallelujah. I hear the Lord saying, overflow, overflow. Let him transform you. Let him give you a new start. He can put you on straight street. I don't care where you've been. God bless you. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on. Somebody keep celebrating. Somebody keep celebrating. As conviction is moving in this house, as God is touching the hearts and minds. Hallelujah, hallelujah. According to your faith, be it unto you. The preacher said, if you can see it, you can have it. By faith, God can perform the miracle in your life. And you can be more and have more than you ever dreamed possible. While we're standing together, just begin to see what God has in store for you in the future. And begin to praise him for what you see. I know that there's objectives in the lives of so many of you that you don't know whether God's going to perform it or not. But the Bible says, He that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So see the vision. Whatever that professional goal, whatever that miracle goal that you desire, begin to see it and praise God for it. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Commit yourself to it, and the Lord will bring it to pass. The Lord, I pray for those who stand before the altar today. They've been moved by the word of God, and they have stepped forth to receive that that you prepared for them. And so, dear Lord, we praise you for what you've shown them, and we praise you for what you're going to bring to pass in their lives, in the name of Jesus. And with all of us, all over this auditorium, just because you believe it and because God has shown it to you, begin to praise God for it. Clap your hands and thank God. Clap your hands and praise Him. Praise your Lord. Thank you for the vision. Thank you for the fulfillment. Thank you for the reality. It shall come to pass. 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 Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. 